everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 46 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also follow RV Miles on social media at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you'd like to keep up with Jason and I, as we travel around the country with our three boys, we are at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest. On this week's episode, we have, first of all, the, the state parks episode that we did a few weeks ago is our most downloaded episode ever, which is really awesome. And Thank shocking. you guys. Yes. So, Thank you. But wow. <laughs> I, it's like, it's just so hot right now. <laughs> so we decided, well, let's do a federal parks episode and and keep that train rolling. Clearly you were interested in what we were doing with that. So we're going to do sort of the same thing today and talk about federal parks. We're not going to do our favorite federal parks because I think we've done that a few times on various different episodes, but we're going to talk about the different types of federal parks and, uh, and how to visit them and what some of the challenges are and what some of the benefits are. Dispel a few myths. Yeah. Yeah. But it just, I think in regards to the state parks episode, it's really cool to see that so many people are interested in state parks, that that topic appealed to them and that state parks are getting some love because I think sometimes they get a little overlooked between the private campgrounds and the federal national park campgrounds. So state parks, good for you. Just don't get too busy, guys, because we need somewhere to park the bus. (laughs) (laughs) But first, this episode is sponsored by Boondockers Welcome. Built by RVers for RVers, Boondockers Welcome offers a unique and inspiring way to travel, connecting you, the RVer, with welcoming local hosts that have overnight RV parking to spare. Boondockers Welcome is built on the spirit that kindness and generosity abound. And we can say having experienced Boondockers Welcome firsthand, when they say kindness and generosity, they mean it. Absolutely. And for only $30 a year, you too can arrange as many stays as you like to pass a night with those who love the RV lifestyle as much as you do. And best of all, Boondockers Welcome is offering RV Miles listeners 10% off an annual guest privileges subscription with the coupon code RVMILES. That's 10% off an already excellent deal. $30 a year for a guest subscription, 10% off with the coupon code RVMILES, all one word. Head over to boondockerswelcome.com. We will also provide a link in the show notes. All right, let's do some news before we get into our big federal parks episode. The first thing I wanted to talk about today is this uh, the story out of the Florida Keys, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office is looking for a family whose history is in a binder that they found in a park that was damaged in Hurricane Irma in Big Pine Key, Florida. And they have this, they have this binder and it's full of family pictures, news articles, birth and death certificates dating back to the 1850s. And they're reaching out to try to find out you know, who owns this to have somebody claim it. But they don't have a last name? They no, they they know there are a couple names. I think it was pretty well damaged. Okay. Um, there are a couple names, Fred Schaefer Boyer Sr. and Lillian May Fernandez, 
were names on one of the pages, but uh, they're looking for who the rightful owners might be. So if you know anybody that might have lost a binder of family history. During it, Hurricane, or, Irma. Hurricane Irma. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty specific. It is. But that's kind of cool, too, that this has been recovered, because how long has it been since Irma? It was last September. So nine months, and they've been able to recover stuff still. Yeah. And 1850. What a cool piece of history for your family to have and hopefully recover. The FMCA, the Family Motor Coach Association, they're getting ready for their big Wanted in Wyoming International Convention and RV Expo. This is the FMCA's 98th International Convention and RV Expo. I love that it's international, too. So they they plan on owners of 2,000 RVs to attend this year. It's uh, if you don't know the FMCA, it's a it's been for years a big organization of motor coach owners, Class A RVs, and they've just recently expanded their their membership to include towable RVs. So trailers are are now welcome in the FMCA, and you don't even need to be a member to attend this event. So you can go visit if you already own an RV. If you don't, this is this is an RV show essentially. Uh, and uh, you can learn a lot. There's going to be a lot of classes. and I think there's over 100 seminars happening. There's something for everyone, it sounds like. this. We were looking over the press release for this, and it just sounds massive. Yeah. So it is going to be July 19th, 20th, and, and 21st at the Camplex Multi-Event Facility in Gillette, Wyoming. And finally, the Recreational Vehicle Industry Association, the RVIA, they're looking to address this problem that I'm sure many of you have experienced that RV technicians are are in high demand. There's a major shortage. And this is why you see a lot of these RV dealerships holding onto RVs for three, four months before they're able to repair them. So the RV Industry Association is going to be building what they're calling an RV Technical Institute to train technicians in Elkhart, Indiana, to go work for dealerships and and help repair some of the RVs. Good for RVIA. That is awesome. I think that it's seeing a need for a very valuable career choice that has a lot of worth and doing something about it and encouraging people to see that as a viable option. I really, really love this news story. I really love seeing jobs being created, blue collar, for lack of a better word, jobs being created and honoring and respecting those jobs. Trade. We need more trade jobs. I'll tell you, if you you know anybody, a young kid who's graduating high school, who may not want to be on the college path, which I think is absolutely fine, this is high paying jobs. Is Mike Rowe involved in this? Where is Mike Rowe <laughs> in all be. of this? Because somewhere he's got his hand in this because he has been such an advocate over the years for increasing trade jobs and increasing the respect yeah. for trade jobs. Somewhere he's been whispering in their ear. I just know it. And most of these jobs are not they're not looking for vehicle mechanics. It's mainly repairing the stuff inside the RV, repairing air conditioners and and water heaters and refrigerators. The refrigerator thing seems to be the story over and over again that we hear people have issues with their fridge and their RV is gone for months 
because of an electrical issue with the refrigerator. Yeah, and it's it's mainly the backup. It's it's mainly these places just can't get to them. And there there's a lot of fault to be held at the RV industry. Yeah, it starts on the manufacturing line as well. But um, but it's it's a big problem. You know, I, I, people are foregoing their warranties and just calling out mobile technicians to come repair their RV because it's just not worth it to try to get your RV repaired at some some dealerships because of the the delays. You might get an appointment that'll be six months from now. I think the problem too is you have this warranty and you have a six month delay. And it, depending on what the issue is with the RV, that is six months that you are not able to use yeah. your RV. That's six months that you are making payments for something that is sitting there taking up space that you had bought in order to enjoy life. So I can see why you would say it is worth it to me to forego the warranty and pay to have this done. Otherwise, I have something that for six months I'm paying for and I'm not using. Exactly. It's very, very frustrating. It's like buying a car and then the car sits out there because you've got an issue with a transmission and you can't get in for six months. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, federal parks... Our favorite parks. We'll be right back. That's not true. We love you two state parks. (laughs) Don't get upset at me. But we do love our federal parks. All right, we are back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. It went like this. A firefighter is standing on the middle rung of a ladder, spraying water on a burning house. He climbs up six rungs before the heat of the flames causes him to come down 10 rungs. After a few minutes, he's able to climb up 18 rungs to the very top of the ladder. How many rungs does the ladder have? And we got a lot of varying answers to this one. We did, but there were two numbers that were really popular. So the answer is 29 rungs. Try to follow the logic here. The firefighter standing on the middle rung. That's important. Starting on the middle rung. That means there is a middle rung, right? That means it's not an even number. Because if it was an even number, there wouldn't be a rung right at the middle. He goes up six rungs. So he now, now he's at the middle plus six. He goes down 10. So he's now at the middle minus four. Then he goes up 18 to the top. So now he's at the middle plus 14. So you know we've got the middle rung. You know we've got 14 rungs above it. So we must also have 14 rungs below it. So that's 14 plus 14 plus the middle rung gives you 29. Do you see the glassy look in my (laughs) eyes as you're talking? You opened your mouth, said middle rung, odd numbers. And I started thinking about lunch. <laughs> what am I having for lunch today? <laughs> but was was really interesting, though, is that first off, thank you to everyone who keeps playing. This is really fun every week. And we do thoroughly enjoy hearing from you. Even if we don't get to respond, we do really enjoy hearing from you. What was very interesting about this week is that we had multiple answers of 18 and 28. And I thought that was so interesting because I think what kept throwing everyone off, what threw me off too, was the fact that in order for there to be a middle rung, it has to be an odd number. Yeah. 
Otherwise, there can't actually be a true middle. But then my my interest stopped right there. (laughs) And then then I took a break (laughs) during the podcast to think about lunch. All right. Our winner this week is Jeff Rasmussen from Tennessee. Congratulations, Jeff. We will be sending you a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt from the very chic RV Miles shop on Amazon. (laughs) And we will have the new brain teaser at the end of the show. All right, let's talk about federal parks. Hey, before we do, though. What? I know we missed a piece of news and we missed it last week, too. (sighs) I know. I feel like we just need to get back into it. One, we're still in Kansas City. Let's just throw that out there. We're going to be here for the summer. This is where the wandering family is located. Two, we forgot to mention this week's America's National Parks podcast. And it's one of my favorite that we have done so far. And I just really want us to talk about it. Yeah, if you listen to last week's episode of this show, we talked about Route 66. One of our favorite destinations on Route 66, as you heard a couple of weeks ago, was Petrified Forest National Park. And we did our episode on the curse of the petrified wood. I love petrified it. Forest. I love it so much. I loved the title so much because the kids and I have been listening to Nancy Drew books, the old school Nancy Drew books from the 30s, 40s and 50s. We've been listening to them as audiobooks. And then last night I started actually reading one to the kids. And this is an this is a Nancy Drew story. Like I love the fact that it's called The Curse of the Petrified Forest. So, this was a really fun episode to record. It's basically people who for a long time were taking pieces and it still happens from time to time, but were taking this petrified wood out of the park and then believing because they had taken it that they were cursed with bad luck. So they would they thought the only way to remove this curse would be to send the petrified wood back and they send it back with maps and detailed information about where the rangers should return the rock to for them. And the national park, the petrified forest national park has collected over 1200 of these letters with rocks they call them conscious conscience letters Uh, but the park of course can't put the rocks back because that sort of disturbs the natural study the scientific study that's happening there it's a scientific site i mean these pieces of petrified wood are 225 million years old they are and we say this at the sort of the top of the episode of the national park podcast the petrified trees in petrified forest national park were already stone when the T-Rex roamed the earth. Yes. And we are closer now to the age of the T-Rex than the T-Rex was to when these trees lived. Let's listen just for a minute as everyone's minds go. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So that was a really fun episode to record. And we hope you guys will go over and give it a listen. America's National Parks podcast. All right. Now that I've gotten that one thing I really wanted to say out of the way let's talk about federal parks okay so the first thing i want to touch on here is that not a lot of people realize how many federal parks there are we didn't realize how many there were until we got on the road well a lot of people think that you know we're talking about national parks and maybe they know about forest preserves as well but in addition you've got bureau of land management parks and and boondocking land Uh, You've got the Army Corps of Engineers parks. You've got the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. 
there's just a ton of parks and it's not all national parks that are owned by the federal government. So the first thing we want to sort of talk about is how you find these parks and how do you how do you book into them? And the best way is to go to recreation.gov, which lists most of the federal parks out there most. and is a spot where you can reserve most of the ones that take reservations. Please do not go through their app. Go to the actual yeah, the website. the app is just terrible. Oh, the app is oh. so bad. If we ever do a podcast on like the top 10 worst travel apps out there, <laughs> this recreation.gov app might be at the very top of the list. It is just so impossible to use. They also have an 800 number that you can call and make reservations that way. But the thing you need to know is that Parks are all going to have different windows and some are more popular than others. So some are going to open up their reservation windows six months out. Uh, some are going to open them a year out. Some of them are walk-in only all the time. A lot of those walk-in only ones are not going to be listed on recreation.gov. Those can be the trickier yeah. ones to find, but it is possible to find them. And a lot of uh, a lot of these campgrounds only list certain sites on recreation.gov and the rest are first come, first serve or or whatever they might be. So but that's your main place to find them. Now, some parks have been privatized. So, for instance, if you want to stay at Fishing Bridge at Yellowstone, which is the only campground in Yellowstone with hookups that can accommodate large RVs. That is a privatized campground and you have to go to that concessionaire's website. Zantera with an X is their name. Uh, you'll find the same thing at the Grand Canyon. You'll find the same thing uh, at a lot of the Lake Mead campgrounds. And unfortunately, what you're going to find with those two is that they're going to be more expensive yes. than if you were able to use a federal campground. And federal campgrounds are really some of the best deals out there if they are not privatized campgrounds. They are generally cheaper than most state parks in most states that we unless you at. go to California, unless you go to California. <laughs> but they're still probably cheaper than the private parks in California. Yeah, but they're not cheap in California. Yeah, it, it just depends. I mean, there there is not sort of one standard uh, as how the parks are priced. No, but I would say the average across the board is I think it's going to average out anywhere between like 20 and $25. That yeah. seems to be the average cost per yeah. night. A little bit more for forest preserve usually. Yes. So you can go book on recreation.gov. That's the best way. And we actually find that it's a really good site because you can pick individual sites. You can look at them. There's usually a photo of each site. There's at least a map. Uh, we do it sort of in conjunction with using Google Maps the satellite view so we can sort of see the site and sometimes you can even do the uh the street view where they they have actually driven through the campground and there's also a website called campsitephotos.com we'll link to it in the show notes as well and they have a youtube channel as well where they just take photos of every single campsite at every campground that they go to and you can see these campsites and most of them are going to be federal and state campgrounds and, and get an idea of the campsite. And the reason that's really important is a lot of people think, okay, the site is listed as a 20 foot long site. That doesn't necessarily mean that only a 25, uh, that only a 20 foot RV can fit in that site. 
And we have found that to be true over and over. There's one of the biggest questions I see online is people asking, you know, what's the length of RV that I can buy that will allow me to camp in the national parks? Because they've heard that national park campsites are short. They were built, you know, 50 years ago and they weren't meant for giant RVs. Well, the thing is, most of them, you the site length is where you can put your back wheels up to and then you can overhang off the back, sometimes 10 feet or more. We have about a we have about an eight foot overhang from our rear wheels on our bus to the back end of it. So very often we can park with our back wheels up against the curb or whatever the end of the campsite is, and we get all that extra space. The other thing that's important to know is that that a lot of national parks do not even have RV campgrounds. So if your big reason for buying an RV is that you want to go camping on the national parks. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. A lot of them don't have campgrounds. <laughs> don't. A lot of them do. A lot of them have just tent only campgrounds. A lot of them have campgrounds that are no hookups. Or in the case of Guadalupe, they have a parking lot, a parking lot right. for RVs, which is not necessarily ideal, but they do have like flush toilets. They don't have showers. You're going to encounter that a lot. So those are going to only really end up being like a couple night stays for you unless you're someone who's, you know, really set up and really comfortable with the boondocking for a long period of time, then yeah, you could absolutely make that work. But the thing to know is almost every national park has a forest preserve or a state park or something like that right outside of it. Yeah. There's usually a good camping option for you. There are some places where it's a problem. I I mean, don't get me wrong. We're 37 feet. We've been able to camp most places we want to camp. There have been a few places we've avoided because we haven't found a site. Uh, But most places that we've wanted to go, we can go. But I've seen people say, oh, you have to be under 25 foot if you want to go to all the national parks. 25 foot is pretty small. And and I can't agree with that, you know, at all. I think I think if you really want a safe number to stay under to be able to go to a lot of sort of the older state and federal parks, I'd say, you know, stay under 35 feet, maybe 30 feet, and you'll be okay at most places. And the thing is, a lot of these parks have varying sizes of sites. So it's not like every site is going to be 40 foot long. You might have 10 sites that are 40 foot, 10 sites that are 30 foot, and 10 sites that are 20 foot. So the bigger you are, the less sites at an individual park are available to you. There's this uh, article that's been going around quite a bit where they have taken as many different campsites as they can at national parks and sort of averaged them out. And, and it says like, you know, if you are under 25 foot, you can stay at 98% of campgrounds and, and so on. And unfortunately this, the research that they use to do this is really uh, it's really full of bad information. For instance, they say that 19 foot is the maximum at Zion national park. No, they don't. Yeah. Well, we know that we've, we, we've stayed at four different campsites at Zion. We've stayed at five. Five campsites. We are Zion. living proof that you can camp at Zion. I cannot tell you how many class A's we saw at Zion. I can't even say that, that I is, remember a site as short as 19 foot. That's so unfortunate. And yeah. what's happening at Zion, too, and this is happening at some 
of the other major parks is all of the campgrounds are undergoing major renovations. They are actually improving the space to allow for bigger rigs. Yeah. So you do have to do a little work if you have a larger rig to sort of figure out if you can fit into a site. Another thing to consider is if you're pulling a trailer, very often it the site length doesn't have to include your truck as well. You can often park in an auxiliary spot somewhere or sometimes there's room to park your truck next to your trailer or side to side and, or, side or to side. corner mm-hmm. to corner we have parked that van in all different configurations yeah, when in we say site. we were at zion in five different sites we were at zion in five different sites plus had room for our tow dolly and our minivan yeah that article is bush league <laughs> i'm just gonna say it <laughs> i haven't even read it and just that alone discounts for federal parks there's really only one option for discounts for federal parks, and that is the interagency passes, the different passes. And we've talked about them a little bit before, but let's run through them really quickly. These are the America the Beautiful, the national park passes that you can buy, but they're also good for for any federal parks. If you are not a senior citizen and not disabled, you're going to be buying the America the Beautiful pass which gets you admission into national parks and any other sort of fee type areas, most fee type areas in, in other federal parks is not going to give you a camping discount. No, it will not. If you are a senior citizen and you qualify for the senior citizen interagency pass, you will get 50% off most federal campgrounds. You will not get 50% off the ones that are privately owned. And you will only get about, I think it's 30% off U.S. Forest Preserve campgrounds. If you are a person in your party are living with a permanent disability, you can get the access pass, which gives you the same benefits as the senior pass. 50% off most federal parks, 30% off forest preserve parks. I think it's, they don't say it's 30% off. They're sneaky. it's a discount. It usually seems to us to be about 30% off. And the access pass is free and it's good for life. The senior pass is now $80 and it is good for life. And they're talking about making it yearly. And the America the Beautiful pass that anybody can get that doesn't give you campground discounts is $80 a year. All right. A few things you can expect at a federal park. Almost none are going to have sewer hookups. No sewer hookup. Almost all are going to have a dump station. So you have that option to dump if you if you need to. A lot of people carry around, a lot of people call them the, the blue boys or the honey wagon. Let's the li- not talk about these. The We've little, talked about them before. The <laughs> little wagon you can use to you dump into the wagon and then you go dump it at the dump station. It doesn't have to be as gross as it sounds. You can just dump your gray water into it. A lot of people do that. They just dump their gray water into it and go dump it as, at the dump station. And then when they need to black dump their black tank, then they actually move their RV. Yeah, I'm sure people are so clean and very hyper aware when they're using these. It is the image of watching someone <laughs> pull it behind their car and you get 
sorry, this is going to be gross and I'm just going to bring everyone into my world. You get the shadow of the liquid that's inside the wagon as it comes by you and you can see it sloshing around. That really just kind of puts a short little damper on whatever you're doing in that moment because you're not quite sure if it's gray water or black water. (laughs) Because of the sewer situation, most people use the bathhouses at federal and state parks yes. as, as much as possible. So that sort of makes bathroom cleanliness kind of important, right? Um, and we have found that federal parks are generally really good about bathroom maintenance. Yeah, they usually have a camp host that's really on it. Yeah, You're, or a lot of them hire actual cleaning services. Cleaning services, in. especially the more popular or busier parks they're Mm going to have someone come in and clean another thing too is that you're not always going to have a water hookup at some of these federal parks most of them you are but some you're not going to and there's usually going to be water spigots throughout the campground because of that sometimes you'll have a dishwashing station at the bathhouse or near the bathhouse we've experienced that both at zion and then at fort pickens they had a designated place where you could go and wash dishes yeah it's not always going to there's not always going to be hot water available for dishwashing no and certain times of the year the water may not be on yet at the bathhouse or the bathhouse may actually not be open we experienced this at zion they did not have the bathhouse at the B Loop open yet. Which is weird because the park was booked solid. but And because, it was April. But because it wasn't in technically the heavy season, they did not have that, that bathhouse. And we had to walk to a different loop to use that bathhouse. Yeah. You know, you're going to find too that um, there's not a lot of frills. Playgrounds might be uh, very scarce. There's not going to be any activities going on. But you are going to get beautiful scenery, often very well-kept campsites. You're going to find that in a lot of these, especially in the forest preserves, you're not going to be able to have a fire. So if that's really important to you, you Mm -hmm. may not be able to do that. Although I do think when we were at Zion, you could have a fire, which was pretty cool. Um, And at the... The for, the last forest preserve we stayed at in Vegas in Vegas the forest preserves are all over the map when it comes to this they actually provided almost unlimited firewood it that was, was the just first like constantly available that was the first time though that that had ever happened yeah. for us where there was just this abundance of like here please take this wood chop it up and yeah. use it for your fire you'll you'll get a lot of uh, a lot of different rules either sometimes they and we found this at Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds they really encourage you to pick up wood off the ground and and use it. It sort of helps them with maintenance. And then there are other places where that's going to put you in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Just looking at that wood the wrong way is going to land you in jail. They have a limit at federal parks in regards to how long you can stay. It's going to be two weeks. And then they are usually going, and this is very similar to state parks, then they're going to usually require you to have a 30-day period between that two weeks before you can return again. Yeah. So a lot of times our stays in these areas are, we do try to do two weeks. When we were at the Army Corps in the Santa Fe, Albuquerque, we did two weeks there. For us, it's a really nice period of time that gives us a chance to really explore the area. We're slow travelers by nature. 
I love that it's two weeks and then we just move on to the next destination. Yeah. Off. It's almost always two weeks. And that, that rule, that 30 day rule is the thing that's different in different places. Sometimes it's just you have to move to a different campsite. Sometimes it's you cannot be in that campground at all. Sometimes it's only that year, especially in the popular parks like Zion. You can't come back that year. So it just depends. And that's something that you that you want to look into. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the different types of federal campgrounds and sort of what the differences are, because I think there are some that a lot of people don't understand and don't even know exist. Be right back. All right, we are back and we're going to talk about some of the differences between the different types of camping options available in federal parks. We've already sort of run the gamut of what's available in national parks, but I do want to mention, though, that National Park Service campgrounds, the majority of them are not national parks. They're not the big 60 national parks. There are a lot of other National Park Service campgrounds. And we've frankly stayed at more of those than ones in the National Park Service. So, for instance, the uh, we stayed at the Davis Bayou and Fort Pickens as part of the Gulf Islands National Seashore. Two of our favorite Two of our campgrounds favorite by far. Yeah. And there's just tons of places like that. The Buffalo River, um, Cape Hatteras. There are all kinds of federal campgrounds all over the country. And they're they're almost always very well taken care of and in really amazing locations. And you get those same discounts that you get if you are a senior or somebody living with a disability. We've talked about forest preserves a little bit, but I do want to mention that forest preserves are a place where people do a lot of boondocking. And if you've listened to a past episode, you will know that the Eppersons attempted to boondock in a national forest in Las Vegas, and I had a panic attack. (laughs) So just know that as a bigger unit, it may be a little bit harder to do that. You're also going to find yourselves a lot of times in upper elevations. A lot of forest preserves are not what they would seem. They're very mountainous. They're they're very difficult, windy roads, at least in the West. And some of that dispersed camping is really not designed for a class A or a fifth wheel. It is, as we learned, at least in Vegas, we could get in, but we probably weren't getting out. So if you're looking for boondocking options, one of the best places to go is freecampsites.net. And you can find information about which campsites, which sites are available. And a lot of them are, you know, they've got fire rings and stuff. Uh, and, and you can you can also park on the pullouts on a lot of sort of mountain roads. And and uh, and that that kind of scared us a little bit. So I'm like sitting over here shaking my head back and <laughs> forth. No, nope, no. Nope. But hey, to each their own. I always say that. And if you have a sense of adventure, it could be a great overnight offering some spec 
spectacular there, views. There are a lot of people that full-time boondock just in forest preserves and BLM land, which is the next one I want to talk about. BL, the Bureau of Land Management owns a ridiculous amount of land. It's amazing how much West. land they own. And most of this land you can camp on for free. There are usually limits, usually 14 days, and you have to move. Sometimes that means you have to move out of that particular unit. Sometimes it just means you have to move elsewhere just in that area. a hundred feet down <laughs> into a new spot. <laughs> I think, though, in some, and I could be wrong, and please correct me if I am, I think in some BLM land you can actually stay for 21 days. Yes, there there. There are varying uh, amounts, and there are some places where you there they call them long-term visitor areas, such as quartzite, where you pay a fee, a yearly fee. It's like $120, and you can park there as much as you want. Yeah, we saw some space near Zion that was BLM land that had the cutest, there were two of the cutest tiny homes, not RVs, like cute little tiny homes on this land. And that was a three week spot yeah, over there. And and BLM land and Forest Preserve are often right up against those national parks. Yeah, this was only about maybe not even a 20 minute drive to the park entrance. Yeah. BLM also has some regular campgrounds as well that you can book online or a lot of them are first come first serve type deals. A lot of them don't have hookups, but they do have some regular campgrounds as well. Now, you will be hard pressed, I do believe, to find BLM land once you get out of the West, once you get into the Midwest and into the East. There is not much no. sort of East of the Plains states. It's it's mostly going to be California, Nevada, New Mexico. Very desert-like environments mm-hmm. are usually where you're going to find the BLM land. So just kind of keep that in mind as you're looking to where in the country you want to travel to. So there are a couple other different types of federal lands, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. But the big one we want to talk about to sort of close this discussion out is the Army Corps of Engineers. And you've heard us talk many times about how we love Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds. And we want to explain here a little bit why. First of all, there are Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds all over the country. You'd be really surprised at how many they are, there are. I think you would be really surprised, too, by how many there are in the South and the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Army Corps of Engineer campgrounds are really what allowed us and encouraged us to continue that Great River Road journey we did last fall that eventually landed us up in Voyagers in the upper part of Minnesota. There are so many Army Corps of Engineer campgrounds along the Mississippi River at such an amazing price. We had some that I think were only $14 a night. Yeah. Some were $9 a night. There Some were nine. There were $9 yeah. a night. The, the Army Corps of Engineers manages mostly big waterworks projects. They do a lot of other things as well. But pretty much any major dam in the country is managed by the Army Corps of Engineers. And they are they often put a campground on sort of the land surrounding it. So that there's recreation available. So a lot of the, a lot of these campgrounds are on lakes. They're not always natural lakes. They're often dammed lakes, uh, but they're often also close to cool areas, cool cities, uh, national parks. 
all sorts of different types of places. There's one I come back to all the time that is a prime example of how great Army Corps of Engineer campgrounds can be. And that is the one that is smack dab right in the middle of Santa Fe and Albuquerque and five minutes away from Tent Rocks National Monument. You have got access to urban. You've got access to amazing hikes and beautiful, beautiful New Mexico scenery. That is a great campground. And it's on a lake, a big lake. And it's on a lake. And it was a wonderful bathhouse. This is the bathhouse I've talked about in the past that had heat lamps. Yeah. You give me a heat lamp in a bathhouse and it's like you've given me Christmas and a birthday present all in one day. There's also one in Nashville, in the city limits of Nashville. That was a great park too. Wow. With giant sites. Yeah. And that's the thing that we really love about Army Corps of Engineers is that most of these sites that they have are massive. They're just huge. They are not fooling around. It's like they expect you to come with not only your class A, but like you're bringing three or four buddies with you and like their class A's. We've literally seen sites listed over 125 feet long. Yeah. And and then, no worries here. <laughs> and then they when when somebody vacates the site, they usually rake the gravel they clean up any twigs they empty the fire pit completely like they shovel out all the ash the bathrooms are very clean if they're older sometimes but they're usually very clean we've dealt with great people there we can't say enough about how much we love army corps of engineers campsites and the thing people ask us all the time is what do i need to do to be able to stay there they think that they're that you have to have some sort of military that has something to do with Military, like the military fam camps, which is another type of federal campground, I guess, where if you're you're active duty military or sometimes ex military, you can stay in military fam camps, which are around the country, usually on bases. This is nothing like that. Anybody can stay at Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds and 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 they're great. And you should. And if you haven't put Alabama on your radar, you should. It's a great state. They have a couple of Army Corps engineer campgrounds that we have stayed there that are fantastic. Some of the nicest spots we have ever been in and incredibly cheap. You're going to find in some of these Army Corps of Engineer sites, they're normally going to be about $20 a night. That's a pretty standard cost for an Army Corps of Engineer. We have encountered some that are $9 a night, $14 a night. There's no discount. $9 a night. Yeah. So if you have a discount card, then you get half off of that. $4.50. Yeah. Yeah. So we really love Army Corps of Engineers. We really love most of the federal parks that we've ever stayed at. We love you forest preserves as well. Yeah. One thing I might want to add about forest preserves is a lot of time forest preserve campgrounds only have a very small number of sites. So you might find a really cool place like the one we found outside of Vegas, which is a great option for visiting Vegas. And it only has like 15 sites available. And they, of course, book up. So you want to check into that. And uh, a, a lot of federal campgrounds are not available for advanced reservation. So you just kind of take your, you know, you take your chances. Or sometimes they won't be available for advanced res- reservation unless it's within the sort of there's summer a window. camping season, yeah. the window. So sometimes you're you're taking, you know, a gamble 
Uh, and you know, we love to gamble. We very rarely <laughs> schedule anything out longer than like two weeks in advance. All right, let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. A man and his two sons were stranded on an island. All they had to get off the island was a small boat, but it could only hold the weight of the man. And his two sons weighed about half as much as him apiece. How did the man get his sons off the island? He sent the two sons in the boat. And then they went and got help and came back and got their dad. That's close, but not quite. I'll take close. (laughs) Can I get one of those t-shirts now, please? Because I just answered this. So can I just go ahead Uh, and get one? (laughs) There is a lot more to the answer. Oh, all right. If you know the answer, please email us at editor at rvmiles.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you can find us. We'll take your answer. Good job remembering all that social media, dear. We would like to thank all of you for joining us this week, for joining us every week. You guys are great. If you have not subscribed, please do. If you haven't left the five-star rating, we would thoroughly appreciate it. And of course, if you have any suggestions for upcoming podcasts, we are planted here in Kansas City for the next couple of months. And so we have been reaching out and saying, hey, what do you guys want to hear about? What would you be interested in? Let us know. You can send us a private message or join us over on the RV Miles Travel Forum group on Facebook. But until then, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Keep logging those RV Miles and we're going to see you next week. Bye.